Welcome to the Wild and Free Podcast, Episode 55. I'm Ainsley Arment, and this week, Greta Eskridge talks with us about homeschooling middle schoolers and looking after our children in a digital age. If you haven't had a conversation with your kids about online danger and online safety, then you're leaving them subject to a lot of danger, not just inappropriate content, but dangerous content. So the first and most important step is to just be able to to have a conversation with them about how to be safe online. Plus, we're hosting a very special gathering for wild and free group leaders. I'll tell you more about it in just a minute. So grab a cup of coffee and join us on the front porch. Let's get started. One of the challenges of raising a family of seven is that every hobby we undertake costs seven times as much. Staying home made really good sense for a lot of years until we realized we weren't having any fun. So a few summers ago, we finally broke down and bought beach cruisers for the entire family. If John Muir were raising children in Virginia Beach, he might say, the boardwalk is calling and I must go. Or maybe not, but that's where you'll find us on many warm evenings. One night, the clouds were rolling in while the members of our chain gang peddled their little hearts out for 20 blocks towards the smoothie shop. For some reason, we had the place to ourselves. It seemed suspicious that nobody else was enjoying the open bike lanes, cool saltwater air, and white crests of the crashing waves. But then, the rains came. And I don't mean just any rains. Torrential rains. We're talking the scene from The Notebook with Ryan Gosling and Rachel McAdams. But without the kissing. At first, there were tears. Then anger, then blame, as it seemed that perhaps none of us would survive. And then surrender. And finally, elation and laughter as we enjoyed this spectacular moment of fun together as a family. We will never forget that experience. At the heart of every child is the need for play. Play is important for creativity, learning, and interacting with their peers. But it's also the way children communicate. If we want to show our children that we love them, we need to play with them. Play is the magical portal to connection. Much like with love languages or personality types, understanding how our children play is vital. Lawrence J. Cohen, the author of Playful Parenting, wrote, Play is important not just because children do so much of it, but because there are layers and layers of meaning to even the most casual play. He pointed out that the various layers of a father and son playing catch, from developing hand-eye coordination and the joy of learning a new skill, to the bonding time the two are sharing. The rhythm of the ball flying back and forth is a bridge, Cohen wrote re-establishing a deep connection with adult and child. And comments like, good try, and nice catch, build confidence and trust. It's complicated though. Playing like children isn't easy. It's hard work and most of us have forgotten how to do it. On top of that, it's difficult to switch gears after a long day of work to exert the kind of energy that children crave. But if play is how our children communicate, it's important to stop and join them. Playing together brings our families closer. 
Some families love game nights. Others bond over movies, while families like ours enjoy bike rides and flag football. When you discover what your family loves to do together, make it a priority. Plan for play. I think you'll find that it changes the entire culture of your home. This is just one of the many stories from the book, The Call of the Wild and Free. says I'm getting older I say let's wait no longer she says as long as love is blind she says she's gonna break me I say she's gonna make the end of my life a sad goodbye oh oh she is strong she is bright I'm gonna make this girl my wife and take her home She is grin, she is fire, got me walking on a wire. My pride is bruised, but my heart is whole, and she alone. That fun song was recorded by Wild and Free Papa and team member Aubrey McGowan. It's called She Alone, and he'll be performing with his wife Jen at this year's Wild and Free Family Camp. In just a moment, we're going to hear from Greta Eskridge about homeschooling middle schoolers. But first, we're hosting a very special gathering for Wild and Free group leaders this spring. Four years ago, Wild and Free was still in its infancy. We had hosted our first few conferences, and it made me all the more passionate about helping mothers and children connect with other like-minded families beyond the biannual events. I wanted them to do life together and find lasting friendships. In the spring of 2016, we announced a Wild and Free Group's one-day event. Our vision was simple. We wanted mothers to come together in their local communities all over the country on the same day. We created a map where mamas could sign up to host one or find a gathering near them. They could meet for hikes, mom nights out, book clubs, or just a day at the playground. The goal was simply to gather. We had over 75 groups meet all over the world on that glorious March day, with hundreds of mamas and children in attendance. Many of those families decided to continue meeting, forming the very first wild and free groups, and beginning what would become a movement of families getting back into nature and celebrating the wonder of childhood. Today, there are over a thousand wild and free groups all over the world, thanks to you brave mamas. You are the torchbearers, the trailblazers, and the wild and free guides who are inspiring others to set their courses for adventure, get their kids out in nature, and discover the blessings of a rich community. In short, you are the heartbeat of our organization. I'll be honest, Wild and Free has grown so fast over the past few years that we haven't been able to pour into our group leaders in the way that we'd like to. But I wanted 2020 to be the year we got more intentional about fueling your own hearts and passions for this lifestyle and filling your cups so you can continue to pour into your groups. To start, we wanted to celebrate being wild and free with you in person at the Wild and Free Farm Village in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. Last fall, we were able to host our very first mama retreats, and they were such meaningful weekends. 
After experiencing them, I knew I wanted you, our local community heroes, to experience this soul-filling time with a devoted weekend just for you. So we've created a special gathering for group leaders or aspiring group leaders on April 3rd through 5th. Friends, I'd love for you to join me for a weekend of adventure, mother culture, and heartwarming talks. We'll share nourishing meals, take hikes in the woods, and swap stories around the bonfire each night. We even have some fun surprises in store for you. To learn more or register, go to bewildandfree.org slash groupleaders. Greta Eskridge is the mother of four children, a devoted wife, and a longtime contributor and speaker for Wild and Free, not to mention a very dear friend of mine. You can find her charming feed on Instagram at Ma and Pa Modern. She recently sat down with Jennifer Pepito to talk about homeschooling middle schoolers and protecting our children in a digital age. Let's listen in. So let's talk a little bit about homeschooling middle school because I think people, you know, I mean, every new homeschooler feels some element of fear. But I think that part of what brings the fear is this sort of projecting out over the years. You know, we all pretty much know that we can homeschool preschool. You know what I mean? We right. can all do Play-Doh with our kids. We can all teach them their ABCs. Right. But it's when we start to think about teaching algebra or or will I be able to prepare them for college or how am I going to get them through high school that we start to get scared. Right. So have you dealt with any of that fear? I have I have kind of a unique situation in that I was homeschooled myself and I I went through high school and graduated and then went on to college. So there's a sense of peace and the understanding of like, hey, I did this, so my kids can do it too, that comes from that experience. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And I, I've relied on that a lot. Um, I will say that as my kids, I have a 15-year-old who's in high school, and we're talking about him starting junior college classes, probably in the spring, he'll take his first one. And there's a part of me that feels like, wow, is, have I really done enough to get him ready? And, and part of me is like, nope, I sure haven't. (laughs) But um, then I also realized that when I, I was a high school teacher in the years before I had kids in a traditional public school. And so many of my students there that had been in the school system from K through 12, they weren't fully ready to start college either. They, there are, were gaps. And so I think what I need to do when I have moments of thinking like, oh, have I done enough is to recognize that there are gaps in my children's education and I can't do it all. Whether they were in traditional school and had the regular system their whole life, there would be gaps still, or if they've been home with me. And I have to trust God that he will fill in the gaps. And that also I have given them the tools to be learners. And so in the areas where they need to grow, they will take charge of their own education and push themselves to grow in those areas. So that's kind of where I'm at. And I just think it's exciting to see how it's all going to play out. And I've definitely seen that to be true in my own children. My middle 
kind of oldest son, but he's the third child of among my seven. He was a decent student, but because I had an older child with some learning disabilities and babies, he didn't necessarily get the best of me as far as a teacher. And so his first semester in college, when he was 14, he did community college classes. Uh, he really had a couple of like, oh crap moments, you know, <laughs> where he thought, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. You know, he had to write an essay and kind of panicked a little bit, mm-hmm. but he totally pulled through and he's gotten, you know, super good grades and t- professors love him. So it's interesting that even though there were definitely some holes in his mm-hmm. education, uh, he had, he had read a lot and he had the work ethic right. and the care right. to, to do well anyhow. Right. Yeah. So and I, I, I mean, think I think that- about my own experience, like when I started junior college, I was myself, I did junior college for two years and I transferred to a, a four-year university. And when I took my first like science class, I hadn't, at, at the time I was homeschooled, there weren't co-ops, there weren't charter schools. We were homeschooling at home. So I hadn't had a lab science class. I had read through my, you know, high school biology book, but that was the extent of it. And so I go into my first college level biology class and I really had kind of no idea <laughs> what I was doing, but because I was a good reader, I knew how to, to listen and absorb information and take notes. And I knew how to ask questions I was fine. And so I think that is something that I focus on with my kids. Like if you, if you can read the material, if you can listen and take notes, if you could ask questions, you, and you are, like you said, self-motivated, you can grow, you can flourish and you will have to work hard, but you have to work hard no matter what. That's a life. It's just an important part of life. It might take a little time to get your footing, but with the skills that I've given them to be self-motivated learners and people who love to learn and think, then I feel like even if there's an area where they are going to need some some time to grow, they have the tools they need. So yeah, that yeah, was how, really how it panned out for me. And I'm trusting for my kids, if there's a place where they're like, wow, I wish I could have been a little more prepared. I'm like, oh, you're right, but we're going to make the best of where we're at right now. That's so good. So tell me a little bit about how you choose a learning plan for them, because I think sometimes we kill the joy. Mm. It's like we get all intense and scared. And so we pile them up with a ton of textbooks and sort of kill the joy of learning in our middle and high school students. Mm -hmm. And I... I'm a big believer in with my Ella is going into seventh grade and we're still doing a lot of kind of project-based learning that we've been doing the last mm-hmm. several years because there's still so much like critical thinking mm-hmm. and yes. planning and, and I'm giving her time to plan her own club and there's, I'm giving her a lot of authority over her education in a sense, because I want there to be some personal motivation that drives her, not just me piling on this state mandated list of subjects. On the other hand, you know, it's important to teach diligence and help them learn higher level skills. So how do you actually come up with that plan? Well, we, we still do a lot of work together, meeting my high school student and my two middle schoolers. So I have a 15 year old, um, 13 year old and an 11 year old, and then an eight year old. So Um, The three older kids, we do, we still do history together. We still do literature together. They each are in their own math. 
Um, we do science together. So for, for us, part of what makes it enjoyable is that we are, we're engaged in it together. One of my children has um, pretty severe dyslexia. So I still do a lot of read alouds and then we have a lot of discussion time. They, um, two of the kids that don't struggle with dyslexia, they might respond in writing. My dyslexic child will respond verbally and I might transcribe what he um, is saying. So it's a way for us all to still be engaged and enjoy our, the, our conversations about the literature that we're reading and engage in it together because I think that's such an incredible gift that homeschooling provides us is that we have the opportunity to study together, to read great books together, and then to discuss it together. And I don't want to lose that just because they're getting older. I would like us to continue that through the time that they graduate. Um, and it's interesting, that's kind of more of a Socra- Socratic yes. classical method, you know what I mean? So right. for for us to think that just because they're in high school, they should quit coming to morning time mm. is actually a little bit backwards oh, or, or uninformed, yes. you know, because really high schoolers, just as much as the little ones right. need to be in this kind of circle of discussion and learning together. Yes, morning time is critical. And I would say it's like, it is the foundation of our homeschool days and we won't skip it. So for example, last year, as part of our morning time, we read the book, The Hiding Place. So I read it aloud to the kids. And we also read a book called God's Smuggler. And it's about a man named Brother Andrew. And so those two books we read as part of Um, kind of our spiritual growth time, because they're both very, very strong stories of faith. But in addition, they're filled with geography. They both take place in Europe. Um, They're filled with history. One takes place during World War II, and one takes place during the start of communism. So we learned so much history and geography. We had so many incredible discussions and those two books were two of the biggest learning experiences for all of my kids because even my eight-year-old was part of it and he enjoyed the books too. I didn't assign a single paper for them to write. We just read and discussed and would look at maps. We would, based on what excited us or what we were interested in from what we had learned that day, we might pull up another history source. We watched videos. We looked at other books so it was just, it was all driven by the the magic of these books and the stories that they held. And we learned so, so much. It was incredible. So those are the kind of experiences that I'm not grading. I don't have a tangible representation of what they've learned, but I know the learning is happening. And those are the things that I won't give up, even if my kids are in middle school and high school. They're a critical part of their education. We'll be back in just a minute, but I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you that we only have a few more spots available at our Wild and Free Family Camp. As you might know, we're hosting a gathering for Wild and Free families at Trail West Lodge in Buena Vista, Colorado, this August 28th through 30th. It's always such an amazing time of fun, food, and friendship with other like-minded families at a gorgeous retreat center nestled in the Colorado Rockies. We'll zipline through the Aspen Grove, enjoy chuck wagon dinners together, and dance under the stars. Friends, if you've ever wanted to get your children and spouses involved with Wild and Free, this is your chance. 
but we only have a few spots remaining, and monthly payment plans are now available. To learn more, visit BeWildAndFree.org slash FamilyCamp. Now, back to Greta and Jen. So I think one of the things that people get nervous about, though, with having morning time across the ages is that like the older children are going to be bored with picture books and the younger children are going to be traumatized by more mature content. How do you reconcile that? Well, <laughs> that that's such a great question. I, I'm thinking back to, you know, how we've done it. And um, for example, last year uh, we read through a book of poems and um, they were, it was a poem for every month of the year. And it is a, definitely a children's book. The poems are illustrated and I love them. I We memorized each one together. And I think that there is a part of the older kids that, they were a little bit like, you know, these are, are silly. But then at the same time, as we talked through each poem and we talked about the, the language and the imagery and the way that he used language, they saw that there was more to it than, oh, this is a book for little kids. So sometimes we have to be willing to put up with their discomfort or their displeasure even and say, there's more to this than you think and allow them to have the opportunity to be surprised. And then as far as the younger kids being traumatized by books that have a very heavy subject matter, like World War II and a concentration camp, um, I would say the one that struggled the most with it was my daughter, who's 11. My eight-year-old, he grasped at some points the heaviness of the story, but there was quite a bit of the heaviness that he didn't fully understand. So it wasn't as difficult for him, but my 11 year old, she fully grasped it. And there were points where all of us were in tears and she and I, especially, and that allowed the opportunity for us to talk about how our reactions were appropriate. And these are hard things to talk about, but why we need to know about them because I'm reading aloud, I can filter out anything that I think is too much. And there were a couple places where I didn't read a full paragraph or I took something out. And I like that because I'm not just handing the book to them and saying, you read this and you have this experience of this intensely emotional experience alone. Instead, we're all sorting through it together. And that has worked for us. Yeah, that's awesome to have that, you know, opportunity to even sometimes work through or talk through something serious because there are a lot of serious things that happen around us even. Right. And so introducing some of these concepts to your children in the form of literature mm -hmm. is a lot more comfortable in many ways than having them sit with you while you're watching a news broadcast. Right. And I think for all of us to do it together, we can all add our own thoughts and our own responses emotionally, how we process things differently. And I think that's really good for them to see how everybody responds to it in different ways. And again, like I said, I think the opportunity for them to not just experience it on their own, but to do it together, it creates an atmosphere of safety and comfort as we're dealing with hard subjects. Now, my oldest, he's 15. And this year, he specifically asked, he loves World War II history. So he said, Mom, for my history this year, I'd really like to read a lot more 
books about World War II. So he's going to embark on his own journey because he's older and he can handle the heaviness of these books on his own, but he'll be reading them and then checking in with me and we'll be having conversations about what he's reading. I wouldn't do that same thing with my 11 or 13 year old because I don't think they're emotionally ready. We would be reading those books together. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And and we do the same thing here where older children are given a more mature book list mm-hmm. and then there's an opportunity to talk about it. And I, I try to read what they're reading right? and I've been known to, <laughs> in certain stages of life, block out college reading material <laughs> for them to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I haven't done that in the last few years. Um, so let me ask you one last question. We're running out of time, but I wanted to see how do you manage media use? Because I think you know, so many homeschoolers get their kids an online class, right? right. Which is amazing. Right. And then you sit your junior high, high school student down in front of the computer and pretty soon they're absorbing bits of culture that you might not have wanted them to absorb because there's this open computer with the World Wide Web at their fingertips. How do you help children transition into computer-based learning without losing their innocence? Oh, that's such a big question, Jen. Well, I'm pretty passionate about this topic because I've spent a lot of time in the last few years researching how to keep kids safe online and just in the world in general. So I have a lot of of opinions and a lot of ideas, but the short answer would be that we're pretty limited in our family. For example, that means my kids don't have tablets, so they're not doing classes. They're not using apps or doing different things on a tablet. They also don't have phones. We have a laptop that anyone can use, but when they use a laptop, it's in a public place. So they're not taking it to their room to do a computer. If they're doing keyboarding, for example, which is an online class that they take, they're sitting at the kitchen table or the dining room table. And if, um, if they need to research where they think that they might encounter questionable material, they say, hey, mom, I want to look this up. And I would say, oh, you know, I think that will be okay. Or let me look at it with you. And that I know to some people that sounds crazy, but it is so easy for kids to type in a simple search and quickly go down a road that, like you said, opens up a Pandora's box that we don't want them to be exposed to. So the conversation that I have with my kids is, here's how to do Google search or whatever safely. And I have guards on my computer. We have things in place to help with that. But even if you have an amazing filtering system, there are people who are making millions of dollars to figure out how to get around your filters. (laughs) And so it's just always out there. And so what I, what I try to do is help my kids learn how to use it safely by walking through with them, sitting with them. And then as they get older and they're doing their own thing, just encouraging them to check in, or like I said, be in a, in a public space so that there's just less of a temptation to click on that image or that page that could be um, something that they shouldn't look at. Well, that's super helpful. And I, I think it's just so important for parents to be aware because we've put so much effort into creating this beautiful culture for mm-hmm. our children and then to end up in an effort to give them a good high school and 
and junior high experience, giving them much less of a beautiful experience than even some of their public school counterparts because of the media that they can get exposed to if, there, if there's no filters. Right. And if, if you haven't had a conversation with your kids about online danger and online safety, then you're leaving them subject to a lot of danger not just inappropriate content, but dangerous content. So the first and most important step is to just be able to to have a conversation with them about how to be safe online. And there are just copious articles for you, the parent, to look at in order to help you navigate that conversation. And then just to always have the open door policy where they can come to you if they've seen something that they wish they hadn't or if they're like, mom, I want to do this Google search, but I'm worried about what I, what might come up, that they don't have to be afraid to ask you that or to talk about it with you, but they know you're a safe place and you guys are open and you can have those kinds of conversations. That's That right there is so critical in keeping your kids safe online. But a lot of parents, they just don't want to talk about it. So they say nothing. And that's pretty much the worst thing. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, Greta. It's been really lovely to chat with you about middle school and high school. And I think that families are going to be encouraged and feel a little bit braver about undertaking this big project. Thanks, Greta. Don't forget to check out our group leader retreat at the Wild and Free Farm Village on April 3rd through 5th. It's the perfect opportunity to bond with other group leaders, grow in your role, and even learn more about starting a group in your community if you've never done it before. To learn more, visit bewildandfree.org slash groupleaders. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but join us again next week for the Wild and Free podcast.